0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show.
1: What a strange way to end the week. Nine goals, defensive errors and a bit of a weird match to open the Champions League group stage. All that after a very solid and impressive away win at Leicester. If this is the pattern for the season, then it will be an entertaining one if nothing else. But the display on the pitch wasn't where the talking points ended on Wednesday evening. I would like to to come more people next, next game on Saturday. We need the people next Saturday, okay. please. That was something the manager slipped into his interview with BT Sports after the game with Leipzig and it seemed an odd thing to say in light of a near full house for a midweek game, at a time when many people are picking and choosing where their money is spent. Then there's the ticketing issues that have been causing some bother lately as well. So what did you think of the Etihad atmosphere, and is Guardiola right to call for more to turn up? Howard Hawking will be discussing all of that later on in this week's Blue Moon podcast. Also today, we'll preview the matches with Southampton and Wickham, and we'll hear from our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn. I'm David Mooney, and I'm joined by two City fans for this week's show, Sam Roscoe. Hello, mate. And from statcity.co.uk, Adam Carl hello so uh let's get into it adam let's start uh with um the on the pitch stuff and we're going to look at, uh, at city style and the control of the games recently because uh, the one thing i'd say about the leicester game is I-, I thought city did really really well to control a very dangerous leicester side and then you look at and kind of compare and contrast to how they did that against leipzig they kept letting leipzig back into the game
2: <laughs> yeah it was a uh, certainly two different performances i'm um, I was trying to think of how many times I was like worried against Leicester, and it wasn't too many, to be honest. <clears throat> I think Vardy got in behind Laporte. I think that was Laporte's only mistake so far this season. And then just after half-time, they had the offside goal ruled out and uh, Barnes hit the, um, the crossbar as well. But other than that, I don't remember feeling under pressure. I knew that we rarely scored in the first half away at Leicester. I think it's back till 2018 when we scored a first-half goal there. So I knew it was going to be tight. I knew we were going to have to bide our time. And like you say, just control that game until we we were in a position to put it in the back of the net. So, you you know, Leicester are a good side. We've known that now for the last three or four years. Uh, They did us in the Charity Shield before this season, uh, or at the beginning of the season, but obviously through a penalty. So we knew they'd they'd be in the game. Um, But but we were in total control, really. You know, as the away team, you're going to, Concede some chances, or the home team are going to get the pecker up a bit in some in some instances. But other than that, we controlled. I thought the away fans were amazing; they deserve a, a shout out because they really dragged the team through. But we, we weren't under the cosh; we were the ones peppering them, and it was just a, a you know a, a completely different scenario last night against Leipzig when it just seemed to be waved It was like more like a basketball game, whereas in the Premier League game, we're obviously controlling it and almost squeezing the game out of the uh, opposition and making them pay.
1: Yeah, what what do you think is key to City controlling games, Sam? Is it is it simply the performance of Rodri, or does it depend on you, you know the the, the centre back
3: pairing, the 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 style, how well they keep the ball and, and, and move it, that sort of thing? I think it's definitely um, a style thing, to be honest with you, like keeping the ball. Um, and one thing that I I feel with with Grealish now that that City have is more of a a sort of risk. Take her in the in the final third, um, which then obviously you know you have to take risks to score goals, but with that comes um, the risk of losing the ball, losing control, counter attacks, etc. Um, so I think that's that's the interesting thing to to keep an eye on. Um, obviously. I'm all for, I'd much rather see us taking plenty of risks because that means that it's going to be a, a lot more of an open and exciting game. But that being said, um, you know, we know that it's all about control and, and keeping the ball. And we've seen some excellent performances already this season, Leicester being one of them, which really highlights that control. And, and yeah, I think it was a really pleasing result, wasn't it? Because of that level of control. I know like um like Adam said, obviously Leicester had a couple of chances, Barnes obviously hitting the um hitting the bar hitting the post, sorry. Uh, yeah, the bar. Um so I think it's uh but it was really satisfying the fact that it was so controlled and it was a one-nil win that you know at the end of the season, if they are to be champions, that's one of those games that we'll look back on and go, that was a fantastic three points. That yeah. was so, so crucial. Um and although it may not feel that way so much now. Um, I think you know. Once we get through this run of games we've got coming up, some massive matches. Uh, get through them if they've got a great record. Um, you know, we'll be looking back and saying that was a really good. Three points to kick us off.
1: I'm interested, Sam, as well. If you get the same sense that I get here, and and I, I can't really. I've tried all week. I, I discussed it with uh, Sam Lee on on our athletic podcast. Why always us earlier in the week? Um, and I can't quite put my finger on what it is that I'm sensing, but I'm getting a sense of a good season and. I don't mean that necessarily, even by results. It's it's more like performances. Like you think of mm-hmm. the times when City have been defending champions in the years that they didn't retain the title. You look at Mancini's last season, um, twelve thirteen. You look at Pellegrini's middle season, fourteen fifteen. You look at Pep's um, after they won it back to back and then uh, finished. Quite well off the pace with Liverpool, there were really early warning signs that the season wasn't going that well, mm. and it wasn't just results; it was it was the way that they were getting to those results. And even if City had lost at Leicester, mm-hmm. I was kind of feeling that it doesn't really matter;
3: they're playing well enough. Does that make sense? I think um, to be brutally honest, though, they've not they've not been massively tested yet so far this season, have they? And I, and I think another thing that but you that wouldn't you wouldn't say this was an of, easy start to the season fixtures. No, players. no, look. We obviously City lost the community shield, then they lost the opening game of the Premier League, and then all of a sudden they've kicked on, you know, 5 0, 5 0. Um, Norwich and and Arsenal. I think the one thing for me is there's been a quite, whilst he's kept the same side, we've seen versatile performances from the team. You know, you look at Leicester, very controlled against Arsenal, they just absolutely went for the throat. Likewise, Norwich. Obviously, Tottenham was the first game. Um, it was a bit of a sideshow, wasn't it, with everything that was going on at Spurs and, and the, the transfer window at that point. Um, so, yeah, you know, obviously the, the Leipzig game, which we'll, we'll come on to a little bit later. Again, um, you know, a different sort of style to, to and performance from the Leicester one, but very much a, a Manchester City feel to it. And I, I kind of get what you're saying and I kind of feel the same way. Um, but again, I, I do think that there are some big tests on the way. And I feel like I'll know a lot more after I've seen us play Chelsea, seen us play Liverpool, PSG away, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Adam, the, are you getting the same sense? I mean, that, that, yeah. the, the, the thing with Leicester <laughs> is, you know, had, had the Jamie Vardy goal sco- stood, had that, had that been, you know, half a yard further back and he was onside, it, you, can, you can quite easily conceive of that game being City play and play and play and don't score but it wasn't they did they held the yeah. line well they caught him offside it, and they got the goal in. A, it was a scruffy manner but they got the goal
2: exactly that's what I when I allude to when I say about you know squeezing the game and waiting for our chance I think we perfected that last year in um, empty stadiums uh, and we much debated it on this podcast last season about how we manage the game management I think now we've perfected that we're just going to go about our day um, go about our task quietly I think there's a lot of fanfare over the road um, we weren't on TV on Saturday that was Chelsea just- Liverpool with the TV games United have uh, seen the second coming of Christ and they're taking all the headlines and that'll just allow us to just go under the radar do what we do and I think we'll definitely be there at the end of the season you you hit the nail on the head when you say there's some City games where you can see after five minutes you know which way it's going to go whereas nowadays it seems as if we know what to do. We, we we don't panic when we're under the cosh. It doesn't feel, I'm certainly less of a worried City fan and you know me and long time listeners will know I'm <laughs> very uh, pessimistic, but um, the way the way we control the games now, I've I've just not got that, that worry anymore. And this will either hit me with the halfway season amnesty of bad takes, or we'll be right on the way to uh, riding that crest of just a quiet wave. Let everyone else get be favourites and singing and dancing about signings and whatnot. And we'll just carry on with our three o'clock, um, blackout slot and uh, win the league.
1: Yeah, back-to-back defeats against (laughs) Southampton and Wickham coming up. Um, More on that shortly. Uh, Let's talk about the defence. Sam, it was um, Diaz and Laporte for Leicester. It was Diaz and Ake for Leipzig. Um, What was
3: the difference in the performances, do you think? I don't know. I I think that the performance against Leipzig, when you look at it and compare it to that, that Leicester performance and how solid that partnership was for Leicester... Compared to the, um, you know, the partnership against Leipzig, it, it just it it says to me that that's a defensive partnership that hasn't it isn't very well experienced in playing together. Um, I don't think it's anything you know major to to worry about. City still won the game. Um, you know, it was good game time for Nathan Ake, and yeah, you know, every he's going to learn from. From uh, every minute he plays, isn't he? Still, he's still a very young player, and you know, it's he's not he's not featured a great deal for Manchester City. Um, but yeah, I think I think that was it. To be honest, you just like that inexperience of of playing together as a partnership.
1: Yeah, I want to focus on Ake uh, a little bit. He's had uh, some difficult news, it's emerged. Uh, In fact he's posted on Instagram "Uh, The past few weeks have been the toughest of my life. My dad has been very ill and there was no more treatment possible I was lucky to have a lot of support from my fiancé, family and friends Yesterday, after a difficult time, I scored my first Champions League goal and only a few minutes after he passed away peacefully with my mum and brother by his side. Maybe it was meant to be watching me play always made him proud and happy i know you're always with me you will always be in my heart and this one was for you dad um everyone here at the blooming podcast sends uh, nathan Ake their condolences and uh, to his family as well um and it just kind of shows the tough mental strength that it takes sometimes to, to go out on the pitch like that doesn't
2: it yeah i mean he, he posted earlier today how it was been the most the toughest uh, few weeks of his life, uh, seeing his, his father ill and then subsequently passing away, which is awful thing to deal with in any walk of life, let alone when you're in the uh, in a spotlight. And I think Ake okay, we paid a lot of money for him, uh, so we obviously fancied him. He's never played in what I would class our strongest eleven. I'd say last night was the closest he'd uh, come to starting in in a game that had our, our first eleven around him, and he didn't cover himself in glory last night. Obviously. Now we we kind of know why, and you excuse uh, any human being being able to not perform at the elite level when they've got other things going on. Uh, so we must afford that. But ju- during the game, I, I was wait before the game. I thought, right, is is finally in with the. the- crop of players I expect to see big things he opens his uh, Champions League account with a great goal bullet header so much desire to get there and I'm thinking right onwards and upwards and then he just didn't want to win a header for the rest of the game then and again it's harsh to you know criticise someone when they're going through so much trauma but based on what we saw on the pitch obviously Two, if not all three of the Leipzig goals did come from where you would expect Ake to be to sniff out that danger. And I'm just wondering if there's a bit of rustiness, obviously his eye off the ball for other things, which we I am 100% giving him uh, leeway for, but it doesn't help when you're thrown into a, a new defence when, you know, Laporte or Stones and Diaz are so solid together. Um, I was just looking at some numbers of Ake this morning, Um We've conceded 20 goals in the 16 games that he's been involved in. Uh, one of them was a five conceded. Five. He's conceded three on two other occasions. Um, we've only conceded. Uh, we've only kept six clean sheets in those 16 games. So it's a real mism- mismatch of like opportunity for Ake. And I'd like to give him more chance. I think he'll get more chances because of what we've paid for him. So Pep obviously fancies him.
1: Yeah, I mean that—that's that, the thing though, Sam. As well, is that he's. Let's be honest, sixteen games. He's barely played. He's—he's he's, he's just not played yeah. for this city side. And, you know, he's—he's—he's he's, he's into his second season now. He's had a—he—he had a lot of last season out injured, and he's—he's he's not been able to get the rhythm you need to be able to to play like playing in a Pep Guardiola defense is not a
3: normal defense to play in, is it? <laughs> exactly. Look, it's going to take him a while to get up to speed. Um, like we mentioned, he's not not featured. Obviously, last season had his problems. Um. The good thing is he's in a in a squad that does get rotated because there's lots of games. There's going to be lots of games coming up, and he will be getting uh, game time. He'll be gaining that experience um, with defensive partnerships, which is you know key, and he'll come on for it. I think you know Manchester City in the past have had a horrendous record with centre backs uh, when they've gone out and, and bought you know the next best best thing, but I feel like with Nathan Ake that. It was a a, a sensible buy, um, and I do think that he'll do a job. I, again, it just comes down to getting into that rhythm and getting into that groove and, and finding his feet at the club. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, here's a stat for you, Adam, because, um, I mean, why wouldn't I have you on the show and talk stats with you? <laughs> um, Nathan Ake was City's 10th different goalscorer this season. They've now had 11 different goalscorers.
2: They've played five games. Yeah. I was looking into that a bit further, and it took us to our... Um, 10th game last year to reach 11 different goal scorers and 11 games the year before so we're obviously acclimatising to life after Aguero Uh, we knew when we didn't secure Kane or any striker services this summer that the goals were going to have to be spread about I didn't think I don't think any of us expected it to be spread out quite quite as quickly and as fairly as it has I think there's four or five four people on two goals as the race for the golden boot so um (laughs) yeah everyone's expected to do a job now and um that's another thing when you go about the the way that we play we're not we're creating so many chances that we're not worried that we're not going to take. One at least one, uh, like Sam alluded to. The tougher tests will come when you do only get that one chance against Liverpool or a Chelsea or a PSG, and then it's which we haven't got that marksman to take it. So um, I wax lyrical about Torres's movement up front, and if it wasn't for a couple of uh, offside decisions, he'd, he'd be on four goals now already. So we, you know, he want, he needs some things to go his way if we're going to have, a, a, you know, a, a dedicated false nine, if you will.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask about the false nine, Sam, because, uh, it's, I mean, is it simply that they're, they're more at home with that that system this season? That's why the goals have started coming a bit more without having a number 10 in
3: the team? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I was very, very critical at, during the Spurs game when Pep Guardiola brought Gabriel Jesus on and, and put him out wide. I was incredibly sceptical. But as as always... These things Pep was right and you (laughs) were wrong. Yes, Yes. who (laughs) could have seen that coming? I'm sure, right? Listeners will know; they'll expect one of these moments from me on every podcast I'm on. Because I'm sure I'm said it on the last one and the one before. But I was, I just couldn't believe it. He just didn't look, you know. But since then, you know, the games he's played out on the wing, he's looked really, he's looked a natural fit. He's looked you know he, he's looked like a totally different player he looks really comfortable he looks like he's enjoying his football again which is exactly what we need from gabriel jesus torres um obviously there was a lot those all those comparisons to jamie vardy um i think he'll learn uh this season i think it's a great opportunity for him but at the same time it doesn't really matter who plays through the middle because there's, there's it's always been the case. It was the case last season. Um, to a certain extent, the season before, they've got so many attacking options that can rotate and that can move. And the whole point of City's system is that it's fluid up front. Yes, Gabriel Jesus has been playing out wide, but that doesn't mean he won't cut in and you know play through the middle in, in you know in a in a match, etc. And that's the reason why they have so much you know have so many different goal scorers because it is so fluid. You know. The, the front three are all interchanging playing different positions, et etc um, throughout different points of the match, which um, you know bamboozles defenses. and that's why I think so far we're seeing uh, a really strong return, not just from one or two players but from you know pretty much all the team. <laughs>
1: Let's touch on the on the rotation, Adam, because uh, obviously we talked uh, quite a lot about Ake. And you look at the defensive options City have got. You know, Laporte started well. Diaz has started well. Ake's come in and and um, you know got himself a goal and, and kind of settling into the team. They've still got John Stones there to to, to come in later on in the season. Um, but let's look at some of the other positions because Zinchenko um, he started against Leipzig. I thought he did pretty well.
2: Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, Zinchenko. I'd have him as first choice left back now. Um, I think he's matured as a player, he always wants the ball, even in difficult situations. Um, I was always crying out for Ake to have a reliable left back next to him, Um, and I think Zinchenko might uh, apply that. Um, Conceding three goals last night isn't great, it isn't a great way to. Uh, Mark here, uh, centre back or left back performance on on a whole. But I, I'm a big Zinchenko fan, uh, and he'd be starting every game for me. Yeah, um, I do have a, I I do have great. a little
1: bit of a sympathy uh, with with individual when rating individual performances in teams like where they've mm. conceded a lot of goals because yeah, exactly. as a goalkeeper, I've all, I've often conceded <laughs> a lot of goals that weren't my fault. <laughs>
2: Yeah, most of the goals (laughs) that go past
1: me aren't my fault, as it happens. So uh, there we go. Uh, Sam, there's there's also uh, looking at the at the other side of the uh, the pitch, the front end. um, Riyad Mahrez, you know,
3: he's 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 barely played this season. Yeah, it's a strange one. Um, Obviously, he was a real threat last season. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I think obviously Jack Grealish coming in, competitions tough uh Phil Foden just coming back in I I think that's just reality you know Raheem Sterling's not really had much time either but that's I think that's just the way it is isn't it you know players who are are in form he's he's picking them he's keeping it as it is he's keeping things tight um but that's not to say that you know we we don't need we don't need them of course we do you know um I'm sure Riyad Mahrez will come in and, and he'll he'll get some game time and he'll he'll go on a bit of a run but I mean I don't know could it be the system uh with obviously Gabriel Jesus playing out wide then you've got Jack Grealish on the other side is that something that he's he's you know looking to keep a little bit more rigid I know obviously I said before that it's it's fluid system it's all interchanging. but maybe he's he's hoping for it to be a bit more rigid um and maybe that doesn't suit the likes of Mares and, and Sterling as much as it does Gabriel Jesus and, and Jack Grealish, who, um, you know, are, are certainly now, uh, wing wingers, if you like, or wide men, shall we say, rather than sort of wingers. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. I it's, think. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting, we'll
1: Sam, as well. Like, you, like you talk about Sterling. I, I, I've won. I've wanted to see Raheem Sterling back on the right hand side of the pitch to to just to, like even get him a little bit more confidence in the team. But if you've got Mares who who has a you know has a real good claim for playing on that right wing, and now Jesus <laughs> is there as well, like he just yeah. isn't getting in, is he?
3: <laughs> yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's um, they will though because you know it's. The, he's not going to play the same 11 for every single game, is he? Um, Just you watch him. Just you watch him do that. There you
1: go. There's your, there's your
3: challenge Pep Guardiola.
4: <laughs>
3: yeah. You'd, you'd, you'd name the
1: unchanged team all season, wouldn't you? You coward. Go on, do it.
4: <laughs>
1: uh, the other, the other option Adam is uh, Kevin De Bruyne is back uh, to, well, uh, if not full fitness, then he's uh, close to full fitness. Cause he, uh, he obviously didn't complete the game against Leipzig. Um, it's good to have him back, isn't it? It's it, as much as as much as it creates an, a, another headache with another attacking player to fit into this team. You can't have a you, you don't want to go a season without having Kevin De Bruyne in there.
2: No, it was like he'd never been away last night. Um, mm-hmm. Just those trademark balls that he was putting into the box, that he was uh, putting forward. Um, you know, he, he does give us a different intensity, and I think he played further up the pitch uh, yesterday than we'd probably seen. Um, Uh, towards the back in the last season Um, so you know a lovely headache to have and obviously if he can't get into our starting 11 that means we're doing something right the fact that we don't need him to uh, come off the bench and and drag us out out of the mud so it, you you know I'm just think, wondering whether Rodri's uh, injury. I don't know anything about it, but I'm wondering whether that might uh, allow a door to be opened for Kevin de Bruyne. As if I'm as if Kevin de Bruyne needs a door to be open before he can <laughs> start at eleven. I know uh, it's mud in it. <laughs> you, well, so um, without. Without that that door being open or, or shut, um, he'll crowbar it open anyway. So uh, I don't think I think if if anyone's going to force their way into this eleven, it, it'll be KDB.
1: And the final word uh, on the rotation, Sam, uh, Phil Foden, where does he fit in? Because he's now fit and available and, and and back into the team. And after the season he had last year, where you know he was he was one of the key players in that Champions League run. You think of the PSG games, you think of uh, of the Dortmund games. He was one of the the, the main players in that. Um, he's going to be desperately banging on that door to get back in,
3: isn't he? Yeah, and you know what excites me? You know, a lot's been made of Torres playing through the middle and being a spearhead. I think Phil Foden could be that. You know, I think he could be the 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 man in the middle. Um, or certainly given that sort of free role to to be the you know to to play in that sort of hole uh, next. Well, in the middle of um, Jesus and. And Jack Grealish, it's it's really exciting. And just, you know, going back to, to Kevin De Bruyne, um, it just, the own goal, the second goal, the own goal for Leipzig <laughs> it just sums up what Kevin De Bruyne is all about. You cannot mm. defend those balls mm. that he puts well, into the it, box. Yeah, like, the, the defender just,
1: knew if he didn't touch it, it was going to be <laughs> put in yeah. behind him. So he had to try like, and do yeah. something.
3: <laughs> yeah, it, like I'm not having the... I'm not having the attacker put this in. I'll, if someone's going to put it in, I'll put it in sort of thing. Yeah, you, can't just, turn the, you can't <laughs> turn down a cross like that, can you? Yeah, that's it. You cannot, <laughs> defender or attacker, you cannot yeah. resist a cross from yeah. Kevin De Bruyne. Oh. I yeah. could watch, honestly, I, someone find me a YouTube compilation of those balls from Kevin De Bruyne that he puts in, and I could watch that on repeat all day. It's yeah. just ridiculous, isn't it? It's it's like it's art you know it's just it's unbelievable and there's nothing better than being there and seeing him pop up with the ball and then all of a sudden put one of those into the box and it's just like how how has he done that yeah. you know i'm sat in the third tier in the east and you know fifa view if you like and i you know i can't even see that yeah. you know i want to get like a I want to get like you know a pencil and a ruler out and protractor and sort of you know <laughs> plot how he's how's he done that you know it's just incredible to watch and to have him back fit and again you know to see him against Leipzig like he's never been away um it's it must be frightening for other sides when they yeah. see him on the team sheet yeah, sorry. I,
1: the the other thing that my my brain went to while you were talking then for absolutely no reason is uh, the the start of the of the of your answer. Uh, all I could think of was "I'm looking for
3: the man in the middle." <laughs> yeah.
1: so I don't know. I, I don't know why that was. Uh, that that was what my head was doing. But here we are. I never thought I'd sing on the podcast either. There we go. I'm asking
3: Guardiola <laughs> to make a change. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, now, speaking of Guardiola, and as we said uh, at the start of the show, there was something in his post-match interview with BT Sport that rubbed some fans up the wrong way. Uh, here's what he had to say.
0: I would like to, to come more people next, next game on Saturday. We need the people next Saturday, okay. please, because we will be tired. I know the team from Ralph is uh, it's quite similar uh-huh. the way they play. Um, they are so, so dangerous, good quality, and it's in a really important game uh, for us. So I invite... To all our people, to come next Saturday, three p.m. to watch again.
2: You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Adam, what do you make of that? It's not helpful, really, is it? Um, in an era where tribalism and banter and trolling exist, in terms of if there's if anyone ever spots one empty seat on a on on a on a picture, it's ringed and put onto Twitter and social media. Um, You know, know, Pep gets it so right on the pitch, but sometimes just misses the mark off it. And it's, you know, when you've just got in after a long day at work and you've been to the match and you get home and you read that, or for fans that stayed away for whatever reason they found valid to them and they read that, it's just kind of not helpful. Um, It's demoralizing. I I don't know what angle he's going at. I idolise Pep. I think he's a genius. I think he's the best we've ever had and the best we'll ever have. But when he comes out with sweeping statements like that, and he's done a couple before, and you just think, what are you trying to achieve from that? You're alienating yourself. Uh, Twitter's been horrendous this morning in terms of uh, a cesspit of opinion uh, for a man who can literally, you know, do no wrong, usually, uh, certainly on the pitch. And it's just demoralising and a bit not upsetting because, you know, we're, we're grown men and we can. Yeah, you know, we're not going to get up. The real core fan isn't going to get upset about empty seats. There's a plethora of reasons why people can't make midweek games. There's ticketing issues. There's cost implications. There's health implications nowadays. Um, I mean, and wasn't the helpful. attendance
1: pretty good anyway?
2: I thought it was great, to be honest. I thought that it was a slow starter because of the turnstile, the mobile ticketing that has been much debated. And I think after five, ten minutes, it kind of filled up, and it was much more than I anticipated being there anyway. Yeah,
1: um, Sam. The the other argument is that some have suggested Guardiola had uh, that there was no bad intent in what he said. is it's just he just wants to encourage a good atmosphere. It's not about more people turning up. It's about being louder. Do you buy that?
3: Um. Now you mention it, I and just thinking, you know, back to the the clip that you played out, kind of, but at the same time. You know, obviously what he said, and he must he must know what he said, mm. he's going to ruffle some feathers, which which makes me think hes he may have done that on purpose. You know, he, it might be a bit of a, um, I don't know, he clearly knows it's going to get people talking about City and empty seats and stuff like that. Okay, is that what he wants? Is that, does he want people talking about that and not necessarily about the team on the pitch? Mm. Is this just a diversion? So, you know, the team can just get on with the job, Go under the radar. Um, I mean, for me, I, I couldn't care less. To be honest with you, like, do I, you know because I, I didn't turn up against Leipzig on a Wednesday night. I, I live in London these days. Um, I can't. I, I work on Saturdays. I can't go to the Southampton match. Um, does you, that make I, me I, uh,
1: I, less I'm, of a? So, have you still got your season ticket?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still got my season ticket. Um, are you still in the cup? You in the cup schemes? I am, yes. I'm so in you, the
1: Champions League cup scheme, but so I'm not. So you were in affected the then. Uh, you couldn't transfer your ticket until the 11th hour uh, ahead of this game. So, like, your your ticket itself was either going to be used by you or nobody up until, I think, yeah. it, it, until the day before. So, yeah, I mean, idea. what have you made of that?
3: Um, I, just... I mean, I don't know. I think I saw recently. There was um, an independent supporters group that was set up. I saw a Twitter account going round about it, and I thought it's a really sensible idea. That because I know the club do a lot, obviously with the the City Matters group, but really, it, do they do a lot? I mean, it took, like you say, it took the eleventh to the eleventh hour to sort out this transferring tickets in the cup scheme nonsense. Um, uh, it's just some of the some of the things that the club do. Uh, look don't get me wrong some of the th- a lot of the, the majority of the things the club do are brilliant and it's really good um and i think they're great but there are some things that really really are just stupid and overshadow the hard work that <laughs> the the other hard work that the club does um such as mobile ticketing mm-hmm. um and, and look i know that's, this is the modern world etc but it's just and it is change and you know, we do have to get used to change, et cetera. But I think the way uh things are communicated could be a lot better. Um but yeah, just going back to like obviously I still got my season ticket, uh, don't really get up as much as I like to. Yes, I do transfer my ticket to my friends and family. Um just because I goal does that you know, just because I don't go, does that make me less of a supporter? Don't care, to be honest with you. Um <laughs> it's a game of football yeah. you know it's the city and my team at the end of the day um, I go to as, you know as many away games as I can get to when I can got my ticket for Chelsea um, just looking at PSG at the minute can I try and make it work with, with work and obviously it's, it's quite a lot of money with tests and stuff like that um, so yeah you know everyone has their own situation and I think going back to Pep's comments he must know and it's it's not ideal. You know, it's uh give people a break. You know, yeah. they'll turn I mean, up if they want to turn up.
1: Th- this is the other thing, Adam. Um I mean, I personally I'm not in the cup schemes this season and I wasn't in them in the season that we last went to prior to the pandemic either. Um my my situation is is, is very simple. The, the the season ticket prices have gone up and up and up, and I've decided now I'm gonna spend my money on the midweek cup games on the ones I want to go to, not on mm-hmm. all of them simple as that
2: yeah and people are having to make those choices now because of the economic situation um and we should be free to without fear of ridicule or you, you, you know it's as it's bad as it. i remember when fergie called the united fans quiet and we've dined out dined out on that for years ever since and used it as a stick to beat them with uh you you just don't need it from one of your own
1: yeah, I mean it's it's interesting as well that Guardiola is inviting people to the game because uh, he's he's effectively inviting them to pay between thirty and fifty pounds for a ticket on yeah. Saturday.
3: Yeah, that's the yeah. that's the thing. Like I again, this is a nice, you know, this is a, it's an open goal if you like from City. If it is such an issue, then do an incentive. You know, incentivize it for people to come.
1: Yeah, um, bundle the tickets,
3: get the prices down, yeah. do something. Yeah. You know, do we we, you know we, the we don't of the day, want free we don't food.
1: we don't want we don't want cheap food for of uh, cheap drinks for an hour uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 2 hours an hour before kick off the gates yeah.
3: open yeah 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 um you know incentivize it for the fans okay pep said he wants everybody there right let's do a let's do an offer why not let's fill it out um it's not rocket science and i don't yeah. you know you're not telling me that that the ticket money is gonna be the difference between us signing a hundred million pounds Jack Grealish or not. You yeah. know? It's yeah. you know, make it for the fans, incentivize it. If he wants if he wants fans there, then make it happen.
1: Yeah. It's uh, it's funny actually because I actually think the uh, prices in general at City are, are quite reasonable. They mm. the, but the problem is is that it could be upwards of sixty games in a season. You know, you nineteen yeah. Premier League home games potential. You know you've got at least uh, three guaranteed Champions League games. The potential for six at, at home. Uh, then there's a potential for eight more home games in the domestic cups, and that doesn't include any trips to Wembley and like this season's Community Shield as well. So it, it's not so much the, the the individual prices per game. It's just the sheer number of games that a good city team plays that's the that, 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 that's the big problem um, right so we're going to move on and for the final word on the ticketing issue here's Howard hawking swimming in
4: this <laughs> may surprise you but I'm not one to moan no seriously as far as City are concerned, I'm generally happy for my lot. We're lucky and was spoiled by a past decade and I spent most of my youth, much of adulthood, yearning for one cup final to make me happy. But anyway, being very wealthy and successful does not excuse any mistakes that are made nowadays. And if we're talking about mistakes our football club has made in recent weeks, then you probably already know where this is going. It's time to moan. Yeah, let's get to the point. How City have dealt with tickets and the like since the season started has been nothing short of woeful. The key for me is that all these mistakes were so utterly predictable. Think about that decision to join the Super League. When the news came out I was angry but I was not worried, and what I mean by that is that I was angry at the club for signing up for that abomination, but I was not worried because I knew instantly it was not going to happen. I could envisage the reaction, the backlash and its abandonment within 30 seconds of reading the details, the small print, as he imagined 99% of football fans could. So why couldn't City's global executives do the same? I mean, what on earth was going through their brain when they signed that? Now let's look at the decision to not allow tickets to be transferred for cup matches. Whoever made that decision looked at the decision and literally decided they could see little or no backlash from that decision. They didn't tell us about the decision, of course. That would be far too sensible. They just quietly implemented it and thought it would be fine. And yet again, 99% of fans looked at it and immediately saw it for what it was. A terrible, terrible idea. So how could City not see it themselves? Do they really not understand the fan experience at all? Do they not understand that by signing up for cup scheme, I cannot guarantee my movements for the subsequent nine months, especially when there's a pandemic still swirling around? I mean, this is not complicated stuff. How can those that run our club not see the consequences of their actions when some of the consequences are so blindingly clear? And as always, it's the innocent that are usually tasked to apologise and clear up the mess. They're a good great people at City, loads of them, who didn't make these decisions and didn't ask for any of this, but would be tarred by the decisions of others and would be tasked with sorting everything out. It was welcoming news to see Danny Wilson apologise on behalf of the club and reverse previous decisions. Again though, and sorry if this sounds picky, the reversal of the decision to prohibit ticket transfers a day before a match would have been too late for many to sort out a willing recipient for many seats and so those seats remain empty people lose out financially and the fans take the brunt of the constant abuse over not being able to sell out matches so what is the priority for the club a full ground maximum income or everyone having exactly the number of loyalty points they deserve yet again it seems like the club are using a sledgehammer to crack a nut i think too it's all part of the defensiveness of the club that the fans themselves wear as an added layer of skin a defensiveness born from the source of our ownership our expenditure wealth and flying too close to the sun regarding financial fair play. That means whether we are innocent or not matters little by now to rival fans and much of the media too. And thus players have never been more distant, access to them in the club has never been rarer, unless there's a sponsorship deal to push, and it seems like the move from fans to customers is complete. A perhaps inevitable conclusion when City don't really need a stadium to make the big bucks. Eventually, they'll just be full of holograms like the ABBA concerts next year. And then... Pep tops it all off with his post-match comments. One sentence, and he activates the armies of empty-had trolls to rain down on us all once more. Now, it's highly likely that Pep has very little idea of the ticketing fiasco of recent weeks, but then he should. The manager with perhaps the most powerful influence in the club's history should be aware. If you feel the need to make a snide comment in public Pep, I may suggest you direct it at your friends who signed up for a European Super League or made buying a ticket for this match for some harder than winning the Krypton Factor, and crept corporate areas around the ground distilling the atmosphere further, not the poor saps just trying to get through a pandemic the best we can. Or consider why so many City fans consider the group stages unappetising, why so many struggle to afford to go to matches however well priced they are. Think about the fact we're in a pandemic and that the world has changed, people are struggling, some will never come back, some can't come back. Consider that some are wary about being in the ground at all. I know I still am a bit. And there's precious few away fans too, of course, always vital for a good atmosphere. And yet again, it's the fans who take the hit. That's why I'm angry. Because so many at the club have no idea what is involved in being us. Within 10 minutes with tedious predictability, Paddy Power are bantering about his comments. It is of course a topic of discussion for TalkSport. City support or lack of it is headline news again, and we're having to defend ourselves when the attendance was far more than I expected it to be, and just as much as it has been in previous years in group stages. I shouldn't care, but I do, because it gets under your skin, and right now in this strange world we live in, I'm probably on edge. Executives at the club and the manager, too, need to go through the matchday experience. See what hoops you have to go through just to go to a football match at the moment, especially if you're using someone else's ticket, and need to get home before midnight for midweek games that many just can't make. When they do this matchday experience, not that they ever will, of course, they will then discover there are no buses back to town, and like me, they can stand outside a football stadium. That's just housed fifty thousand people and at full time not one single tram arrives to take people away for twenty five minutes after the end of the match. Then get on a packed tram where four people in total are wearing masks. Then perhaps understand some people may not be ready for this experience just yet, or may never be ready. I don't think things will ever be quite the same as they were in football across the board, but we will get some proper normality back. Pep will say a few things that will rile me, but no one's perfect. I say things, stupid things, all the time, as my friends will tell you. And we'll move on quickly the next time he says something we don't agree with. But not this time. The club needs to step back, along with its manager, and decide where its priorities lie. Fans or global reach, income or atmosphere. There's more I could say, to be honest, but time has defeated me, and more to the point. I'm not one to moan.
1: Hi, I'm Paul Walsh and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
0: Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward
2: slash Blue Moon Podcast.
1: That was Howard Hawkin Now it's time to have a look at the game with Southampton this weekend. Uh, we're also joined by Sam Ty from the Ranks FC podcast. He also writes for the Southampton magazine. Hi, Sam. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Not too bad, thanks. Um, let's start by uh, looking at uh, the opposition for this game. Um, Southampton currently winless, uh, but only one defeat in the start of the season. How's it been, really, the start of the season? Ah, uh, it's you know what it feels like. Ralph at Southampton never really seems to start that quickly, which is a
0: bit of a shame because you know what a springboard that can give you. Um, excuse the screeching in the background there. Um, but obviously opening that, that game with the, the season with the, with the loss at Everton, that, that felt like a real opportunity because Everton kind of came into this season, I thought, under a bit of a black cloud. They weren't really very happy with their manager. turns out they've actually done extremely well and Southampton are, are winless and the entire thing. But the fight they showed against United was really good. Look, They should have been 4-0 down in the first 20 minutes of that game, I'm not going to lie. But the second half and the fight they showed was amazing. They did the same at Newcastle. They never stopped and they pulled a goal out in the last moment. And then the defensive performance to keep Macal Antonio quiet, it really took me by surprise. I didn't think they were capable of that. So I guess the way I probably sum up the first four games is you never really know what you're going to get. And on every occasion, Southampton do something which surprises you, either good or bad, but they, they pull something out of somewhere.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is is kind of how the squad has, has changed from last season, because uh, obviously Vestergaard and Ings uh, no longer there. Um, Adam Armstrong, the big sign-in. How, how, how is it different from last season?
0: Yeah, I mean, they're not, they're not going to be able to replace Danny Ings with a like-for-like player. They're not going to replace Danny Ings with a, a player of like-for-like quality. Uh, let's be frank. I mean, Southampton have a an informal rule on their, their transfer business where they basically don't spend more than £15 million pounds on a player. Um, so if you sell Danny Ings for 25 rising to to 13, you try and replace him with 15. Well, that is a short list of zero, my friends. So they've had to think outside the box a little bit and have to change a few things, Uh, Armstrong is a a, a really good player, actually, but he's a a sprinter. I'd compare him to sort of the Leipzig version of Timo Werner that we saw. uh, Incredible pace, ability to run in behind and good shooting technique and unerring finishing ability off both feet. That's not what you can say about Werner right now, but the Leipzig version, I definitely saw that in him. That means that Shea Adams has had to drop in and play as the kind of support striker, the link player that Danny Ings was. We saw a little bit of that last season, but it's it's coming to the fore even more. And of course, in the last game, they actually didn't play Adams at all. They played kind of like a 4-3-3. They put Elian Nussi in midfield, who's come back after a couple of the loan spells at Celtic, in which most people thought he was pretty much dusted in a Southampton shirt. And he started the season really nicely. So that actually reminds you that for the first time in quite a while, Southampton have actually got relatively decent squad depth and they can change their team and they can change the formation uh, according to their opponent. Although, it will be clear, Ralph Hasenhuttle hates changing formation. So, he does that when only absolutely necessary.
1: Would he, would he do that for City?
5: Hmm.
0: Yes, he probably would because I think he's absolutely, wow. sort of simultaneously really excited to get into this game and um, also totally not to be terrified of it. I mean, Southampton have had a terrible way of this one, haven't they? At the Etihad in particular, over the years, last five games have been losses for southampton i remember five goals and at least two of them it's it's not been a pretty fixture so you probably will need to block up in either in midfield or in defense and and maybe that west Ham game where they did play three in midfield not two was a bit of a dry run he did say after the game we tried to give them the ball a bit more um the good thing about ralph is that he you never have to guess what he's doing because he'll just come out and tell you he's <laughs> brutally honest about what he does um and he said yeah we're just I try to give them more of the ball and try to counter us at them. And yeah, you always do look at that and think, ah, maybe you've got an eye on City there too.
1: Yeah.
0: and under every manager, just
3: go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk.
1: Adam, th- this this is probably the game where City fans will look at it, you know, for, for better or worse, as, as the one that they're not really that nervous about in the next next few weeks. Um, how are you feeling about this?
2: Yeah, I think the, the Southampton have only won one at the Etihad, I think. And we've... We've only lost you know, a couple of the last 17 games in, uh, at both venues. So on paper, um, it looks like it should be straightforward. But I think Southampton, I've watched a bit of Southampton this season and they, um, they do turn up or like bring something to the game. They're not completely out of the game uh, like we've just alluded to. And I think that will cause us problems when they're not going to let us have it our own way um and they're going to get amongst us I, I think and pep even alluded to that in his uh post match conference press conference last night uh, he knows how ralph's teams play and he's uh, al- already given us a call to arms um t- to turn up against them so I think we're going to need to be on it uh, to get anything from the game. I don't think it's going to be easier. But the, the lesser of the next few evils that are coming up, I suppose. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, Sam Roscoe. After <laughs> um, after
1: this week's games, obviously we'll talk about Wickham a bit later on in the show as well. Um, City's run includes Chelsea away, PSG away, Liverpool away. Um, it can You kind of feel like they have to build on the good
3: start that they've had to the season now and not drop any points until that, don't you? Yeah, certainly. I think um, I think these next few games are a case of look. Let's get the job done. Um, Let's win. And, and you know, you can go back to the the game against Leicester. You know, they got the job done. It wasn't by any means pretty. It was an ugly win, but it was a win nevertheless. You know, 1-0. I think, you know, if you ask Guardiola, would he take 1-0 against Southampton? Would he take 1-0 against Chelsea? Would he take 1-0 against PSG, Liverpool, etc.? The answer is an overwhelming yes, isn't it? So I think um, that's that's certainly the case. Um, even this in this run of games, some uh, some big matches coming up, and um, starting with the next one. I know it's yeah. cliche, but um, yeah, like for everything you mentioned, the momentum build that, uh, and it's got to start against Southampton.
1: Yeah, Sam Ty. Um, obviously, the uh, the fans' opinion of Hasselhutl is where, where, where are they at with that at the moment? well um like with every fan base there's a, there's
0: probably a little bit of a split in that I, Ralph definitely came under some criticism and took some flack back end of last season um obviously they started extremely well if you remember after 10 or 15 games they were up there in at the top of the league or in the top four for for, for the first sort of two or three months and they they'd started brilliantly obviously it fell away there was a really a famous win against Liverpool in January at home where Uh, There were so many injuries that Southampton were dealing with and it was such a heroic effort. And I know Liverpool were a bit easy to beat at that point. It wasn't quite the same, but it was still a heroic effort. And Ralph Hasenhuttle sank to his knees and and basically started crying uh, on the turf at at the full-time whistle because the the boys had put in so much. And from that point on, they basically lost every game they played. It's like (laughs) they used all their energy up and, yeah, there were some sections of the fan base that, that criticised him. They said he doesn't have a plan B and that's actually kind of true. He, he believes in one style of play. He wants to press, be on the front foot, high line and you know what? It doesn't matter who we're playing. We're going to play that way. We're going to be brave. We're going to be bold. Um, so that's the criticism. But for the most part, he is adored. And I think there's a realisation here that this team without him would have been relegated last year and the year before that and probably the year that he came in as well or well, definitely the year that he came in as well that was the Mark Hughes uh, debacle uh, halfway through so yeah, he's basically loved and liked. I think fans just wish he was a little bit more flexible sometimes. That's the only real criticism they have. of
1: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the, the pressing game as well, because um, the, the tie last season at the Etihad, the, the, it was a 5-2 win for City, uh, but it didn't feel like a 5-2 win. It was a really weird game where, where Southampton kept having spells of pressure coming through their pressing. Uh, can they call City a problem with that this year? Yeah, their pressing is very good. Um, it's extremely
0: well coached. Hazlund was one of the best in the game, in my opinion, at coaching that specific style of defending. Um, so yes, it causes problems. absolutely does. And the reason I sort of said earlier, Ralph will be sort of simultaneously looking forward to this game and dreading it is he'll dread it because he always loses quite heavily whenever he plays against City. But he'll look forward to it because... And these are his own words. Again, he leaves nothing to illusions. This is the kind of opponent he wants to play. If your opponent is chaining together longer passing moves, moving the ball around the back and recycling it, that just gives his team more of a chance to get at you and get on top of you and trap you. That's what he wants. He hates playing against Burnley because they just kick it forward in one pass. How do you press a team that don't build play? He hates that game and they lose to Burnley all the time. But City's the one or the type of game that he looks forward to, even if they ended up getting beaten relatively handsomely, probably because of the quality gap, let's be honest. He really likes this kind of game because it allows him to to, to tell his players to pin their ears back and really go and hunt for that ball because the opportunities will be there. Yeah,
1: Adam, for, for City and for Guardiola, I mean, Guardiola's gone unchanged three Premier League games in a row
2: now. Um, do you think he might make it four in a row? Um, I think uh, De Bruyne coming back to form uh, might force his hand a bit. Um, Rodri picked up an injury um, last night. I don't know how much uh, that will play into the part, but I'd, I'd like him... Ju- if 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 Pep's playing the same team every time, it means we're doing something right, and he's keeping a winning team. So I I'd like the fact that the fringe players are having to fight so hard to get into the starting eleven. That I'd like to see it again, but I think the return of De Bruyne and Rodri's niggling injury—I don't know how bad it is—might just force his hand slightly. But for me, I'd keep as we've gone on.
1: Well, the, the interesting thing, Sam Roscoe, um, we talked earlier on in the show about players that could be rotated in at various points. You know, in in the season, is, is there anybody that should get a chance in this game? Do you think? I mean, you, you look at someone like Sterling, who's only come off the bench this season, apart from that Spurs game. You look at, you know, Mares, you know, played really well last season, the season before, and, and has barely been in the team this year. Is there anybody that needs to be in there just to kind of get their own chance in this?
3: Um, I think with so many games coming up, though, I think it's going to be, you know, naturally they're going to get opportunities, whether it is against Southampton, possibly. Um, But again, like we mentioned before, you know, the run of games that they do have coming up and and the momentum that it it can build. And and already you've got to say the momentum that's there in the Premier League with the side that's been playing. Um, It's a strange one because second-guessing Guardiola is just something that, Nobody can do. It's it's impossible. Um You know, we'd have said, wouldn't we, in the past that um, <laughs> having an unchanged side for Guardiola is just unheard of, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a tough one. I, would I be surprised to see Sterling Mares feature start against against Southampton? No. Would I be surprised to see him keep the same team? No. Um Again, I think he'll he'll definitely have. Um, that, that run of fixtures in his mind that, that's coming up as well yeah. so I um, think and um, with
1: like, De Bruyne and, and Foden just coming back from exactly injury coming as well back, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sam Tai uh, we've got the charity bet coming up a bit later on so before we let you go let's, uh, let's have a score prediction for the game
0: yeah well uh, City always <laughs> win this game particularly at home so why well, stray from that? Um, but I always back Southampton to pick up at least a goal. Uh, unfortunately, I believe City may score more than one. I think it might score three. So let's go 3 1.
1: 3 1, City. We'll, uh, we'll put that in the charity bet a bit later on. But for now, Sam Ty from uh, Ranks FC podcast and the Southampton magazine. Thank you very much for joining us today. No worries. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Sam Ty from the Ranks FC podcast there. Now, uh, time to look ahead at the game with Wickham. So let's introduce Duncan Alexander from Opta. Uh, Duncan, we've had you on the podcast several times before. You've made no secret of the fact that you're a Wickham fan. I could not um, I could not let this game go past without having a chat to <laughs> you about it all. Um, and obviously, like, like I say from Opta, if anybody follows you on Twitter, you, they, they know the sorts of stats you come up with. So here's one for you to chew on to start with. Uh, City haven't lost a League Cup match uh, since Barack Obama was the US president, since before Rogue won a Star Wars story, it was on the cinema, and since before Robbie Williams released the album The Heavy Entertainment Show. Uh, what do you make of that?
6: Uh, well, I've lost track of Robbie Williams' album title, so that's useful to, <laughs> to, to add that to my records. But yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a while. I, I was saying this to someone the other day, I've not, like, Pep Guardiola loves the League Cup to an extent that not even the people that created it in the 1960s seem to, you know what I mean? He, <laughs> like, just, like... It's all he wants to do every season. That's the, that's the main target is retain the league cup, and then everything else is just you know additional. So fair play. Yeah.
1: So how, how do Wickham um, standing in the way of that of that bear moth? How do Wickham cope with that?
6: Uh, well, that is a very good question. And I think normally in this sort of scenario, if, if Wickham were playing, you know, United or Liverpool or or someone like that, you'd imagine a lot of uh, reserve players would come in. And that will be, I'm sure, the case a little bit with City. But A, your squad is, you know, insanely good and deep. And B, if you look at City's lineups in the League Cup, he might make you know three or four changes, but generally, um, you know, the there's still a pretty good spine. So it is actually pretty concerning for a for a League One team to go away to the Etihad in a in a cup game, particularly in the League Cup. So yeah, I'm, I'm not you know yeah, traditionally someone oh, them, you know the cup's a great leveler and all that, but <laughs> uh, it's pretty daunting, pretty daunting task. But but you know, it's it'll be a good experience. Uh, for the first ten minutes, at least, for uh, for our players. <laughs> yeah,
1: Adam. When you look at uh, at City's squad, um, I mean, as Duncan said, that Guardiola takes this seriously. That the, the, there's been years where we've been sitting here going, well, you know, this youth player or this youth player might get a chance. Then you look at the lineup; it's just hilariously strong. <laughs> um, what, yeah. what what do you think he'll do for this one? Is it because obviously they've, they've got the champion? They've got this tough Champions League group this year. They've got obviously the COVID situation is you know. Um, it seems to be a lot easier this year than it was last year.
2: What? Where do you think he'll go? Well, I think the fact that he's named the same starting eleven for the three league games shows that he, even the what we would class first teamers like Raheem Sterling, Mares, people who can't get into that current favoured eleven are going to be playing in these type, using these type of games to get into that first eleven. So I don't think it's actually going to be as weak as we may. Main- Necessarily have thought in previous seasons, so uh, much. To, uh, Duncan won't thank me for saying that. That the players <laughs> like Mares and Sterling might be using these games to to force force Pep's hand into the first team. Obviously, we're crying out for people like Dalap, McAtee, um, you know Palmer to get games and to get game time. I think even sprinkling them in with uh, the likes of Sterling and Mares uh, won't necessarily create our, our weakest of teams.
1: Yeah Sam you just know don't you that that the starting lineup for this one will contain like De Bruyne, Foden, Mahrez, Sterling and then <laughs> then on
3: on 85 minutes Cole Palmer as that's when he'll come on you know what I mean don't you? yeah 88 minutes the game's already 4-0 done and dusted he should have been on about half an hour ago but yeah <laughs> typical yeah. um yeah it's, it's a strange one isn't it because obviously Guardiola loves this competition the, the squad is just ridiculously strong, and like adam was saying, you know there's there's real competition in the squad for places, and there's always lots of rotation. we know he likes to well, I was just about to say we know we, he likes to tinker with things pep Guardiola, but he's he's kept it pretty tight so far this season, so even more of a challenge for the players that are on the fringes, you know he, yeah. he's it, very rare this season for 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 him to change so much um so so for them, this should be a, a big opportunity.
1: Yeah, Duncan, let's let, let's have a little bit of a, of a look at Wickham. Um how are you doing this season? I've uh, I've I've had a quick scan at the league table. 11 points from 6 games in League 1. Not a bad
6: start. No, pretty good. I mean, obviously for us it's the first time we've ever gone into League 1 uh from the championship rather than the other way around from League 2. And that and you know, psychologically that does make a bit of a difference, I think. You know, it feels like yeah, we sort of slid into division with hopes of, of bouncing back rather than, well, let's see if we can stay up and then build on that. So I think we're probably maybe the fourth, fifth best team in the, in the division. Um, so yeah, I think playoffs is, is the target. And as you say, we started okay. We, the one defeat we had was a, was away at Sunderland, which was a bit annoying because Sunderland do parade around league one. Like they are, it's a crime against humanity. Like they own the (laughs)
1: place as
6: well. Well, yeah, I mean, at least you did the right thing and just spend one season and then, and then bounce back. Whereas they've decided to, you know, to set up shop and then moan about it repeatedly. But, um, (laughs) But yeah, we lost. We lost three one. But I mean, I watched that game um, abroad. I was on holiday. It was you know why spend time outside in the summer? I could be sat in a room watching a League One game on on a laptop. But um, Wickham actually, you know, made a couple of bad errors for their first two goals, but pretty much dominated the ball, which is pretty unusual for us. So yeah, I mean, in in wider terms, this is probably the strongest squad we've ever had. I think, but. You know, in specific terms, in this fixture, in this game, I think it's still going to be, uh, it's still going to be a big challenge.
1: Yeah, I mean, I normally ask about a style of play, but it, like in in this in, in this sort of situation, it is David against Goliath. I I can't imagine you're going to come to the Etihad and try and pass your way through City. It just doesn't doesn't really add up. Does
6: well, it? we don't really go to Cheltenham and try and pass our way through Cheltenham. So <laughs> I, don't think I mean. We we've got a metric called um open play sequences, which is where teams uh have ten or more passes in a sequence, right? So um if you string together ten passes uh and then do whatever, we don't have a shot. So for instance this season Wickham had three all season, so three sequences of ten or more passes, uh and no shots from that. City <laughs> in contrast, in fewer games, two fewer games. Uh, I've had 93 sequences and 32 (laughs) attacks that way. So, in some ways, you probably couldn't imagine a bigger. I mean, this this possibly could be the biggest stylistic clash in football history. In some respects, Pep Pep Guardiola against Gareth Ainsworth is not. You know. De Bruyne against Bayer and Fenwell, although he is very much a, a bit part player these days, is yeah, it's it's um for fans of contrast, this could be a uh, you know one of the biggest games ever.
1: Yeah, Sam. Um, just looking at from a City point of view, I mean obviously we don't know where Guardiola is going to go with City's lineup. Um, I always wonder if. I, I always remember when, when, when me and you were growing up and you used to watch City in the lower leagues, they'd get drawn against a Premier League team and you'd think, right, we'll have a bit of a go at them because cities, City were generally in the second tier occasionally, you know, that one season in the third tier as well. Um, I, I always wonder what it's like from the other, other. Kind of side of the fence. When you look at it from a city point of view now, if Guardiola doesn't play the kids and he just plays a full strength team, do you think well that's a little bit unfair on 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 the gap, or do you think you know I, I actually wanted to see some of the kids and see how they do how they do in a first team situation?
3: Um, it, it's a strange one because uh, to be honest, whoever he puts out, I just want to see them win the game. Um, and if the, yeah, I think it is an opportunity you know, no disrespect whatsoever to, to Duncan and all the, the Wickham fans out there, but this is a David against Goliath story and um this should really this should you know a a mixed team of of youth and, and experience should should um on paper you know Breeze past Wickham to be what, quite. What was brutal. what was the moral
1: of the, of the David and Goliath story? I mean, that that was David just. That, yeah, you know of course, the, of course, Goliath yeah. just won it easily, didn't he? That like, that was the that was the answer, wasn't it? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that, that. You know. It's. But I mean, it's again. How, how do you second guess Pep Guardiola? Like as Met said before, he loves this competition. Um, you know, in the past he's been known for changing. He's always got one of them decisions in his locker, hasn't he? But this season so far, he's kept it tight. He's not, you know, he's named uh, unchanged sides quite often in the Premier League, which is unheard of. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it will be a, a bit of a mix up for this one, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. I and mean, when it, you know, like I say, um, it, it's great to see the the youngsters get some game time and and go through the system and go through the, um, you know, that process that. You know, Phil Foden has gone through to get where he is, etc. And and if we can, you know, see that process happening, then the fans are, are very, very pleased. Yeah,
1: Adam. The uh, we joke about the Carabao Cup and, and how much City uh, enjoy it. I mean, the, the other the other sad thing is now that Carabao have ac- actually extended the uh, sponsorship, City have got to win even more of them to be the only ever winners. Um, but if they if they win it this season, um, then they they've won it nine times more than anybody else. They've won it five times uh, on the spin. That's that's never been done before. They're, they're currently joint uh, record holders with Liverpool on that on uh, on both of them. Um, you can understand why Guardiola takes it seriously, can't you? Because at the end of his at the end of his time at City. just walks away and he says, well, this is how many trophies I've won you.
2: Yeah, and as a stat man myself, obviously, I want to, those type of records to be tumbling so um, it's a case of you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't with Guardiola when we scored so many against Burton a couple of seasons back he was claimed as being disrespectful to the opponent and should have should he have taken his foot off the gas at four or five and then if you do field kids and you're not taking competition seriously I think the Carabao's got a weird cult following now within City fans because we've been the only ones to lift it whilst it was sponsored by Carabao um, <laughs> and it's a, almost like a juggernaut now that no anyone from outside the Club really probably doesn't care about, but the fans inside the club would. And I think if we put a lesser team out and Wickham we were to do us over, I don't think it'd be as passively accepted as it would have in previous years. Before we've kind we've kind of created a rod for our own back now in terms of the Carabao. Um, so it's damned if you do and damned if you don't.
1: Yeah, it's just it's just so shit though. It's the fact that that Carabao <laughs> spelt, spelt their own name wrong on their official Twitter feed. That, that that sort of thing just
6: blows my mind. It is interesting, and I think good that nearly all of you've said that you, you just want to win the game and i think that there's this weird kind of thing amongst some people who will see a you know big premier league team against a lower league team and almost kind of sneer at the premier league team fans for wanting to win the game as if that's, you know, against the rules. It's like, I remember we we nearly beat Spurs in the FA Cup a few years ago and they got a last-minute winner and they had fans on the pitch and on their knees, just, you know, (laughs) joyous. And fair enough, because it doesn't matter. Every football fan of every team, if you see your team win a game, particularly with a late winner, a late winner is a late winner. And, you know, particularly for clubs like City, you had to endure quite a lot of, you know, years without much success. Make the most of it where you can. So, yeah, I think that's spot on. Yeah,
1: I'm, uh, Duncan. We can't let you go without uh, talking about some of the history between City and Wickham because, uh, again, last time they met, Martin McCutcheon was at number one in the uh, in the <laughs> charts. There were there had only been three Star Wars films in cinemas in total. That was it, the, you know. And look where we are now. So, uh, yeah. Uh, what, what are your memories of? Uh, I mean, did you go to both games in 98-99? Yeah, I
6: did. I think I think if- Teams Wickham have played more than twice. City might be the only one that I've been to every single match. I went to both of the Coca-Cola Cup games, pre-Carabao, obviously, in 95, uh, 96. That was, yeah, that was like September 95. So, so yeah, I've been to all four. But, yeah, the, the, the league games in uh, 1999 99 were, were both pretty memorable. The one at Adams Park, which I think was October, um, you dominated the ball. There was a lot, but not much penetration. And my main memory from that game was in the... The executive box bit of Adams Park. Um, yes, there is one. Um, <laughs> they had, there was Liam, Liam Gallagher, Noel Gallagher, and Goldie sat there. And the Wickham fans had spent most of the game abusing Liam Gallagher with Noel sort of, you know, encouraging it essentially. And, uh, and they all left quite early, I think. But uh, yeah, we, that was a penalty. Yeah. And then the reverse game, we obviously were pretty much dead and buried. Up, up until sort of February-March. Then Laurie Sanchez came in and we went on this um, unlikely run of, of form, um, but still didn't expect to to win at City. Went 2-0 up pretty early. I remember being sat in that um, kind of, what was that like, you know, stuck on adjacent bit of stand near the... Yeah, the, the Gene Kelly stand, singing in the rain. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, that was quite a nice April Day deus integral. Um And yeah, 2 up, played really well. And then Second half was just one way traffic, and yeah, our, our keeper had a had a great a great game, and and, and we won two one. And I think that meant you couldn't finish in the top two, and it pretty much you know guaranteed our say. well it didn't. We had to win on the last day, but it without that win we would have gone down. So yeah, it was um that I would say that's up there with Leicester quarter final in the FA Cup in two thousand and one, that and the City away game in ninety nine are the probably the two most uh, memorable games I've been to. I think.
1: Yeah, as Duncan never ceases to to stop reminding us, uh, Adam uh, Wickham, the only team to beat City home and away that year as well. So uh, all good for yeah. Your first game, Adam, was against Wickham.
2: Yeah, it was that Coca Cola game, uh, Coca Cola Cup, four uh, nil. And I'd, obviously, I've spoke to Duncan offline about that being my first game and how I've always looked out for Wickham after that. So this game is kind of like a, gone full circle for me to see us playing Wickham at home in the League Cup again. It's uh, going to be a quite ni- quite a nice moment for me
1: let's see if we can get some more nice moments on the podcast as well by uh, getting the first charity bet winner this season. We've not managed it yet. Um, each of the panel gets a £10 correct score single from William Hill. The money is going to the Man City fans' food bank support, which helps the Trussell trust food banks in Greater Manchester. Um, we'll start with the Southampton game. We already heard from Sam earlier on in the show that uh, he thinks Southampton uh, are going to walk away from the Etihad with a 3-1 defeat. That's uh, 11 to one and £110 if he's right. Uh, uh, Sam Roscoe, what are you going for the, uh, the Southampton game?
3: For the Southampton game, I think... Um, even though City have, I think, how many games is it now? They've won by five goals at the Etihad recently. Um, it's three, it's three it's be, in a
1: row apart from the, yeah, the Champions League, yeah.
3: Yeah, I think it's going to be tight. I think um, Southampton, for all their troubles in the summer, have started pretty good. And I think they're going to keep it tight and they're going to be frustrating. I think it's going to be 1-0 to City.
1: 1-0 is 9-1 to and 90 pounds if you're right. Adam, what's your scoreline for this one?
2: Uh, typically KG 2-1 City, but not
1: easy. 2-1 City is 11-1 to one as well, and that's £110 if you're right. Uh, unfortunately, the odds aren't out yet for the uh, Wickham game in midweek, so uh, give us your scores and uh, we will tweet them on our Twitter feed at Blue Moon Podcast ahead of the game. Uh, Sam, let's start with you. What are you going for this one? A respectable 3-0. A uh, respectable 3-0. Adam, where's yours? And like my first game, 4 nil. And uh, Duncan, what's uh, are you going? Damage limitation, or are you uh, are you suspecting nah. the
6: worst? <laughs> I mean, you won with a tennis score last night. I'm going for another one. Uh, I'm going six one, which I think's not too shameful for Wickerman. Also, might make uh, Pep uh, loan us some players at some point this season. You know, kind <laughs> of like they didn't they did injure any of any of our players, and we we took defeat on the chin. So yeah, six one.
1: 6-1. Uh, we'll, like we say, we'll get the odds of those uh, on the Twitter feed a bit later on. Um, but you've got to be 18 over to gamble. Prices can change. To find out more about how to gamble responsibly, have a look at begambleaware.org. Duncan, thank you very much for joining us as ever. It's been a pleasure. No problems. Thanks. Duncan Alexander from Opta there. Now it's time to move on and Wickham could provide the opportunity for some of the younger players to come into the team and shine, as we said a bit earlier on. So with that in mind, it's time to check in with our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn. And we started our catch up by turning our attention back to Sam Adozi. That's after Sean sent me a text to say he got a little bit excited last time he was on and wanted to clear a few things up.
5: I was trying to avoid negativity for negativity's sake. Like being wrong about a young player is, is pointless because there's still so much of the development to go. And there's still so much, whereas when I look at it, the player, Sam last year, he didn't have the season of say Sancho before he left. He didn't have the season of Jaden Braff before he went on loan last year. You know, there was nothing there and and his numbers and just what I was seeing on the pitch. Um, well, on the stream, sorry. Yeah. Um, just just didn't seem to be there for a player that was going to make a massive impact, at least immediately, anyway. I don't see it yet, um, personally. Uh, I mean, the thing you've got to say, the thing I've got to say there is, obviously, I haven't actually watched him in the flesh, because I've not been able to, for obvious reasons, for the last year. Um, and we only really see small amounts of, of, of the work that players do anyway. You know, Guardiola could see all sorts off the pitch that, I'm not privy to. And we also have to take reserve football with a pinch of salt anyway. Um so while I'd say while I'd say it's it's completely possible that there's a there's a right little player in there. I just don't see it at the moment. I mean this year he's gonna have it tough with seemingly Jaden Brass back. Mika Hamilton as well, and there's, there's lots of very talented players in the academy, as there always is. So we'll see how he how he kicks on this year. What I'd suggest with a being part of the squad for a little while apart from his great form in pre-season, which is another thing entirely, I would suggest that he fit the profile of the type of player that the squad was missing at that time, rather than it just being a complete, you know, um, he is the one for us type thing going forward. But that said, we've been crying out for that exact thing. If there's there's gaps in the squad, use the academy. That's what we've been crying out for for years. So fair play, but I, I just wanted to clear that up a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, uh, while we're we're on uh, 180-degree turns, um, I'm assuming that's not what you're going to say about uh, James Mm -hmm. McAtee.
5: (laughs) No, mate, not at all. Uh, (laughs) He just happens to be another player we mentioned, but I I just wanted to quickly kind of throw a bit of an update in there. Because one of the things I didn't mention was last year, he he could possibly have accused him of, of needing to score a few more goals. Um, he, he did waste a few chances from what I remember watching last year, um, and his numbers again weren't great. But everything that sounds else,
1: perfect for City to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah,
5: yeah, but everything else about him was was great, as I've gone into last year. Um, so I mentioned that I've mentioned at some point that he does lack a bit of on the stamina side. When he was playing, I think part of the reason I enjoyed so much watching the under 23s last year was the midfield too was was Doyle and McAtee. And it was it was like the uh, David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, a partnership of old, almost identical in playing styles uh, in some ways. Um, so he, he was playing he was playing a kind of a, a box-to-box role and he just lacks the stamina to, to be able... He just can't see a game out when he does it. Um, the new EDS manager, Brian Barry Murphy, I'm not sure if, if this is in all games, but certainly in some of the stuff I've seen, he seems to be playing him more as a direct 10, number 10, attacking midfielder which I've not seen a city side play for, as long as I can remember, a lot of years anyway. Um, So it it could be be contributing to his complete turnaround in goal-scoring form. Either that or he's just completed this level. I've mentioned before, it's mostly pointless that that lad's playing under-23 football at the moment. Either way, seven goals in four games, he's not doing too bad at all. Yeah,
1: the uh, I mean the, the other thing about the stamina thing as well. I can't remember if we said it last time, but um, that was Foden's big issue, wasn't it? And you look where he is now. So it's it's not a it, it's not a huge hurdle to overcome. It's just one of those if, development things, isn't it?
5: If anything, lack of physicality was even more of a problem for Foden. He was getting brushed off the ball, possibly even more than you know, occasionally brushed, as in strength off the ball. Even possibly more than James is at the moment. That's hard to that's hard to say, really. But yeah, you're right. It could absolutely absolutely be a, a development thing.
1: Yeah, well, um the the final thing uh, that uh, I'm going to ask you about is, um, I mean, obviously l- the left back situation is one. I mean, y- you've you've said to me that the club seem to refuse to address this issue <laughs> in the transfer market, you know, year on year on year. Um, we're talking about filling gaps in the squad with uh, with young players. Um, Can they do that with the with the left backs?
5: Yes, let's talk about left backs. Right. So, <laughs> so, like you say, they they just seemingly refuse to address this problem now because it's been an issue for, as far as I'm concerned, for two or three years, and we've got we've got options there, as far as I'm concerned. So, did you know that we'd signed a left back this past summer? Did you know that? I, I honestly didn't. No, no, yeah. So we're not going to see anything of him, but uh, young Thomas Galvez. Um, was brought in from Watford. He's uh, a science scholar from Watford, promising player that he's technically gifted. He's exactly what you'd expect, uh, the type of left-back that we'd sign. You know, he doesn't just belt up and down the wing all day. He can play a bit as well. But he's 16, so definitely won't play. I just, I just wanted to mention that, you know, for anyone listening, we did actually sign a left-back <laughs> this summer. Honest. Um, so then... A couple. I want to jump a couple of age groups above, uh, so into the third year since the scholarships of uh, Josh Wilson, Esbrand and Oscar Terenzi. Um Josh, in particular, is very quick, can whip a ball, um, shows the defensive attributes. But I want to lump these players in together, not just because they are the same age group, but because they've had, both had tortuous times in terms of injuries, which you know city and a city and left back injuries it's it's a, it's a Taylor's oldest time in yeah i don't i don't know if this was one of like Dimitri Selick's like lesser known curses that he put on the club or what it's, <laughs> getting, it's getting ridiculous at this point so yeah they're, basically they're um a good year of of Wilson Esperanza's development was just wiped out and Terenzi's been the same and I haven't seen him recently so he might well be injured again it's just it is a big shame both uh, scholarship signings a couple, a few years ago from uh, from West Ham and Espanol and I mean you, you wonder about these signings sometimes but when they buy them for the academy you assume they've got you know at least medium to high hopes for them so Josh, is, uh, Josh, at least, is starting to kind of rebuild his, his career at City a little bit. Uh, he's looked good from what I've seen recently. But the reason I wanted to jump two ahead was so that I could come back at the end to uh, young Juan Larios in his second year. Uh, he was signed last year as uh, at 16 again. So he's now 17. I think of, of all the players I've just mentioned, uh, Larios has shown the most promise to me he seems to uh, impose himself on games a bit more obviously he's excellent technically and everything you'd expect um from what i've seen so far but it's just it, there's other little things as well like um his his temperament sometimes there was a the particular game that i remember there was a few occasions but towards the end of the season i think the game against burnley that confirmed them as as under 18 champions of the north there was a guy, uh, typical like Burnley Luddite, who was just getting at him for the entire for the entire time, and he was just he just kept brushing it off as if he'd not said he'd as if he couldn't as if he wasn't even there. Basically, I mean, a lot of that could have been his, It was his first year in the country, and he he wasn't quite accustomed to what exactly all the rustic language that was being thrown at him actually yeah. meant. Actually meant, yeah. But there was, there's a few occasions like that that made me think, oh. Well, this this lad has, actually has quite a professional temperament already. He's quite a, quite a good attitude to have to him. But what I wanted to say as well is, alternatively, if you know, if we're going to be sticking to what we do as the first team in general, um, and you think of the inverted fullback that goes into midfield, with forming a back three behind them. If Cancela was to carry on doing that from that from the right, for example, then playing a left sided centre back. At left back isn't so much of a problem as normal. So, while I'd imagine that will be Ake and Laporte, because you know you've, Ake's got to do something, has not he? Um, <laughs> um, so, if that could be possible, obviously that then moves the squad around a little, and there could be some kind of extended uh, squad role for someone like Luke and Beatty, who we've talked about in the past being a left-sided, very promising centre back who got injured halfway through the season lost half the season of only for uh, Callum Doyle to step into his into his shoes and completely excel to the point where he's um a second year scholar as such out on loan for oh, which is such a rare thing for city you know, you don't get sent out on loan in your second year as a as a rule so that that could be a possibility as well i mean so so there's options there i mean if if suddenly the manager wants to give youth opportunities then there are opportunities to use this extended squad we've got to fill that particular squad gap, which we've talked about lots in the past. But I think there is uh, quite a few options going forward for this role just until January when. I'm sure they'll ignore the problem all over again.
3: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
1: That was our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn. And that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, then please go and give us a rating and a review in your podcast provider, although ideally on Apple Podcasts if you can. Long story short, it helps more people find the show and that helps us pay the bills with the adverts. Speaking of them, if you'd like to listen to the show without the adverts, then that's one of the perks of being a Patreon backer. For as little as £2 a month, you'll get the main show without any of the commercials and you'll also get a weekly bonus podcast, each of them an episode out of a brand new series that we've been doing this year. This week, City fan Gary James and Charlton fan Louis Mendes pick a heaven and a hell match between the two sides and we talk through the good and the bad of City's recent meetings with the addicts. For more information and to sign up, head on over to patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Thanks to my guests this week, to Sam Roscoe. Always a pleasure. Never a chore, mate. Never a chore. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, from statcity.co.uk, Adam Carter. Cheers. Thanks, Adam. And thanks to you for listening as well. I'll be back in seven days' time, so I'll see you then.
0: That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.